I am Dr. Tasha Browning, a trauma therapist, and this is The Trauma Perspective. In this podcast, we will discuss various topics surrounding mental health, trauma work, trauma healing, and explore the lived experiences of trauma survivors. Be warned, trauma is a dirty topic. It is thick with hurt, and it reveals some of the ugliest sides of human existence. These discussions may not be appropriate for all listeners. So take a breath, stay present, and let's discuss the trauma perspective. Thank you for joining us once again on The Trauma Perspective. We appreciate all of the support that we've been getting on this podcast. Um, I have a guest today that is going to discuss a topic that I am, you know, quite interested in and also um, extremely excited to hash out with her um, and then also uh, understand and discuss some of the work that she's been doing surrounding this topic, and that is mental health and the black church. We all know that um, given the last uh, few years, um, people have uh, lived through significant amounts of trauma and stress, and that has impacted everyone uh, worldwide. We also know that some of our ritualized behaviors of um, support, encouragement, and feelings of safety um, in our uh, religious worship or our spiritual um worship and comforts have, were disrupted because of COVID. So um, I think uh, having discussion on how we can bring that back and center it um, in ways that are going to be more supportive of people um, is going to be really helpful as we move forward in mental health. And uh, the Black church has always been a pivotal part in the African-American community um, in instigating change and awareness on many different topics and also providing support. So I think mental health is just definitely an extension of that. And um, having this discussion after COVID, I, I find to be um, more important than ever um, as we start to create new normals for ourselves. And one of those being getting back to being able to um, be more active in our faith in the ways that we um, traditionally were able to be before COVID. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. Browning, for having me. Harris. I am joining you from Florida. I am a clinical social worker by trade, and I am also a doctoral candidate. I am studying at Arizona State University, pursuing a degree in behavioral health leadership. Um, I'm the founder of a nonprofit organization that's simply titled Mental Health is Ministry, and, and the focus is educating African-American communities of faith about mental health issues that often impact members of their congregation or ministry. So I'm delighted and I agree that this topic is very important. It's something that impacts all of us and we need to discuss it. So I'm happy to be here today. So tell me more about your nonprofit and why you decided to approach mental health from this angle. Absolutely. So there are Three main, you know, primary reasons as to why this is something that, you know, I know that the Lord laid on my heart to do um, profession, professionally, just working in crisis stabilization units. I would often have clients that may have been experiencing um, mental health challenges. And so we would talk about their support 
we would talk about just various ranges of support, um, support that they would like to have. And oftentimes when it came to the support provided from the ministry or for church, that wasn't often a place that my clients often included in their circle of support, if you will. So I definitely recognize the need. And then also um, just to contrast when working with some clients that were maybe of the majority population or were not African-American, there were churches that were very supportive of mental health and wellness and their recovery. So that for professionally, um, I was just exposed to that and I was really shocked to just see the stark difference. Um, and to add to that, after doing some researches, there are some um, some Caucasian church organizations that really, really have large established mental health ministries. Um, you know, I think most of us may be familiar with some of the, um, you know, sobriety types of models. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but in addition mm-hmm. to that, there are churches that operate mental health ministry. So I thought that was something that was just that we can in the black church, we can learn from. And then, you know, there's a difference between mental illness, mental health and mental wellness. And, and, you know, the real of it is all of us are impacted by mental health. That's something that all of us deal with. All of us may have a mental illness. And this is the third reason, personal experience. It doesn't mean that there's a clinical definition, but I've experienced some things such as miscarriage, you know, you know, perinatal loss and things like that. And being a Christian and being involved in the church, you know, I had that experience with people, you know, meaning well, but they may say things that I think out of habit, we say, and um, I'll give you an example. Oh, you're too blessed to be stressed or, you know, comments such as, oh, your baby's with the Lord. Well, that is my faith and that is my belief. But at this moment, this is what I'm going through. So that kind of helped me really, okay, say yes, there, there is a need for this. And the African-American church is such a core component of our African-American culture. And we do so many things well, but there are some things that we have not done just to be able to have a conversation surrounded by that, recognizing the strengths of the African-American church, but also, you know, being able to pinpoint when that improvement is necessary. So in the work that you've been doing, um, how do you think that your nonprofit or your work with bridging this gap between um, the black church and mental health, how do you think that it's been received? Okay. So I'll go back about four or five years. That's when I initially got started. So it wasn't as it wasn't received well initially. Um, you know, personally, different um, leaders or churches would kind of question your own faith. Just try to figure out what angle you're coming from. And I think that's because, you know, it needs to be very clear that this is not an attack against Christianity, against the black church as an organization or anything like that. So once you're able to really educate and help church organizations the benefit and then they know that it's something that the members of their ministry really desire and need it's been received well now all of us are navigating life throughout this pandemic this sense of collective grief that we see research emerging um you know focusing on that topic and honestly now it's something that is 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 pretty well received for example, if we think about this pandemic that we're living in, everybody has been impacted from our children to our pastors. 
pastors, our church organizations, the way we do church, our government, there's no aspect of our life that has not been touched and impacted by COVID-19. And so you, you, I have leaders, I have people in positions and authority in churches that will reach out privately and disclose some struggles. And so I think that now as we are navigating this pandemic, it's really opened um, our eyes to really understand that, okay, being honest about my emotions or being honest about a struggle is not to say that I don't have faith. Yeah, so we're I, getting there, Tasha. Yes, absolutely. Because I think that I almost see you as like, um, you know, being given all of these signs to establish something that was you know, in the making of being utilized for the future. And, you know, with that, um, I think, you know, good things and bad things come out of the pandemic. But one of the good things that's definitely come out of the pandemic is this awareness of how important mental health needs to, you know, sort of be cohesive with our everyday lives in all areas of our lives. It doesn't run singular on its own. Um, If it's in our work life, then it's in our family life, it's in our spiritual Mm -hmm. life, and and it all works together. So I definitely would agree with you uh, on that level. So... What do you, like, I I don't, I think sometimes when we are in um, different cultures and when we are in, like, church culture, too, I think there's sort of this separation that takes place. And I think we just kind of touched on that that's not taking place now in that we've always separated how we feel about, you know, our spiritual life, how we feel about our mental health, how we feel about our actual physical health. And I see more of these roles starting to be combined, um, in people's, uh, you know, religious uh, lives and upbringing. And I'm wondering, um, how have you been able to bring that, um, you know, to these environments where they weren't talking about mental health before and sort of introduce this in a way to where it becomes everyday conversation. It becomes okay to say I'm depressed. It becomes okay to say I'm having a bad day or I've, you know, suffered, uh, you know, a miscarriage or issues with my children. How have you been able to blend those two things together to where there's a, um, a level of uh, willingness to disclose that? And I will say that there is more willingness, open to conversations, open to learning, not necessarily an acceptance, um, but a willingness and awareness of these issues. And, and Tasha, it's simple. Your brain is an organ. Your lungs are organs, right? So if we're having breathing issues, we're going to take care of that. You know, if we ha- we're having issues with hypertension, we're going to take care of that. Like, we're not going to tell people that we love and care about, you know, on a personal level or professionally tell our clients, don't take your medication, Right. You know, so when it comes to your brain, if your brain is not well, then your body is not well. So sometimes the conversation is as simple as that. Because, and then another component of the conversation has to be that we, you know, we're mind, body and spirit. Right. And so a lot of it has been education medically. For example, in our older or aging populations, we know that if patients have urinary tract infections that are left untreated, they may present with delirium. 
We know that if we have vitamin deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, Mm -hmm. we may present with some signs that some symptoms that may also be thought, you know, to be mental health issues, but not necessarily. So you always rule out medical. So, so what I, what I do is I educate. And a lot of people didn't know some of those simple things. Some things are hormonal imbalances, you know? So, so professionally in, in our world, Tasha, we always rule out medical. But when I have these conversations in, in, in a church setting, I let them know that. Because again, now I've educated you. So now this idea or this thought that someone is, you know, psychotic, no, we have we had them evaluated. Are they established with a PCP? Like, is everything okay medically? Right? And I think that that's a that's that's very important. Um, another another part of that is really being able to, you know, talk to our leaders of faith from a biblical perspective and help them bring it together, right? Uh-huh. If you think about often, you know, I work in a multi-team setting or multidisciplinary setting, right? So if we're working with patients, um, you know, often there's a there's a therapist on the team, there may be a case manager on the team, depending on if I'm in a primary care setting, we may have a nutritionist or a diabetes educator on the team. But my point is that each team member has a different piece to play. And so I tell pastors, the work that we do is very important and you bring a very important piece of the puzzle to the table. So once I'm really drive that home, they they understand that addressing mental health in the black church is an additional layer of support. It's not to say that prayer is not effective. It's not to say that you don't have sufficient faith. It's not to say that someone is not a good leader or a good pastor because people are are struggling. You know, when it comes to a protective factor, the research tells us that, you know, um, associating with some type of spirituality is a protective factor, meaning it reduces the chances that someone may um, attempt suicide. Mm -hmm. And so a perfect example is personally, you know, I go to a smaller church, but I'm usually in church three times a week. And that means that I spend a lot of time with individuals that are also members of the church and that are also present. My pastor is accessible. If there's something going on, I can pick up my phone and I can call her. In most churches, there may be some type of structure, but there's a way to communicate. So if something is off with me, those individuals that I fellowship with and I worship with, they may notice it quicker than my mental health provider. Because if I only go to therapy once a week, I can tell the therapist what I want the therapist to hear. But people that I worship with, they know my patterns, Tasha. And so what therapist outside of a crisis setting can you reach after your session or after 5 p.m.? If you call your PCP after five or after the doctor's office closes, you're going to get a a prompt that says if this is an emergency, hang up and call 911 or your call may be answered by answering service. But in, in a lot of religious settings, there's a way to communicate and connect with somebody. So there's very much value that um, our black churches bring to the table. Yeah. And so I think that goes back to the idea, uh, you know, in mental health in making sure we normalize it in settings. Mm-hmm. We we talk about it as everyday people having everyday right. issues on many different levels. And so when we normalize things, um, it takes that level of stigma out right. of it. And the other thing is, is that um, I definitely um, hear you and how you've been able to shape, um, you know, showing and teaching people where their natural resources 
are and where their right. natural supports are within their community. And one of those one of those natural supports in your community is where you spend your time. Right. And if that happens to be at your church, then that is definitely going to be a resource um, that you would be able to pull on, but that is going to know you. And so for all those reasons, you know, um, these settings, especially in African-American environments, become very important. And I think that maybe you would agree, too, that in settings where African-Americans aren't necessarily paid attention to as much or or demonized or criminalized, um, sometimes the church is a level of safety and recognition to where um, you are in a setting where people are seeing you as human beings. So if they're seeing you, you know, uh, struggling or having a a memory loss issue or memory lapse or um, there's a cognitive issue, they're not going to take you. um, They know you. So they're going to take you as is there is there a problem? Is something happening to you? Not that there's something wrong with you or that you are, you know, unsafe. And so I think that that also creates levels of um, of uh, just safety and trust and understanding um, when we're looking at mental health. I think the, the, the church becomes a level of that too, um, as long as we're in the right um, the right church setting. Because I imagine that right. the bigger the church gets, that becomes more difficult to have those uh, one-on-one relationships where you kind of know the people that are in front of you. But I, well, I, a couple I, things. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just want to add no, a couple uh-huh. things when, when we talk about the education piece. So, for example, you know, my, my work is not just focused on the black church in that way. There's also, you know, individuals that are therapists and mental health professionals that it's a good idea for them also to understand, you know, church culture and, mm-hmm. what, and what that looks like because it really boils down to cultural competence, right? And so another area that I focus on is helping people understand, well, what do I expect in therapy? Like, what is it? Because in our minds, we may see a traditional stereotypical image, right, of a couch and someone laying down. But Tasha, you and I know that there are so many types of modalities. Therapy is delivered in so many different ways. But I start from the basics because in the African-American church, for a lot of people, it is important that they are allowed to use their faith to support their therapeutic process. Absolutely. Absolutely. So classic CBT, Tasha, affirmations, right? So, you know, as because I'm a Christian first. So in therapy, we challenge negative thoughts using positive affirmations. Well, that blends very well with the Christian faith because a a major part of what we do is using the word of God to affirm ourselves. You know, there's there's scriptures that tell us that, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, so uh, it's important sometimes for patients to understand that I know I may not be praying in session. I'm not going to lay hands on you in session. But what therapy looks like, if you want it to look like, is we can use the Bible as a source of positive affirmation. So if you want to spend 15 to 20 minutes in meditation before you start your day, you can absolutely do that. People, there is a disconnect because I guess there is this preconceived notion about what to expect in therapy, but we very much can, you know, our faith can affirm the process, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. we can utilize, utilize our faith. We don't have to exclude it um, during the therapeutic process. So that education piece is very important. Yes. And, um, you know, you and I both know that when you are going through things or you're in therapy, you need to be pulling on as many resources and right. positive supports that you have right. in your environment to strengthen your healing. Right. Um, Absolutely. 
just to make sure we don't get too far ahead and okay. not explain something, I think we need to just touch upon um, stigma in the black church, though, because um, that is something that is still there. And I know that the way in which sometimes um, it can be stigmatized culturally can look a tiny bit different than how it is um, sort of in in sort of mainstream or out uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the world. So can you touch upon what stigma looks like in the black church that you've been um, working through? Yes. So what I have recognized and some of the things that I have pinpointed, you know, and I think we kind of touched on this is if someone is experiencing um, just say depression, cause that's common and anxiety, especially with COVID, um, stigma for them is a feeling that, okay, I'm going to be demonized mm-hmm. or my faith is going to be judged or discredited. If I admit that I'm struggling with depression or if I say I couldn't get out of bed, um, Stigma is also the belief that may be held by some church organizations or structures that you're not praying enough if you're mm-hmm. depressed or you're anxious. You know, those are some that's that's some feedback that, you know, that we often hear. Um, stigma is if they know I'm taking medications like it's like you feel like, OK, well, I can't be honest, but if it's a headache or something, I can pop a Tylenol or a Motrin. But if I need to take something to help me balance my mood, like I don't want anybody to know. Like that is that like I would I don't for fear of not being loved or accepted or ostracized, if that makes sense. And I also think it's important and stop me if we're going to get to it later, but to talk about the kind of the history of mental health in the church, in the black church, too. And it kind of helps us understand where some of, you know, the misconceptions may have originated from. So whenever you're ready, we can talk about that. Yes, I want to get to that. Absolutely. But I just want to mention one more area of stigma. And I wonder if you've encountered this. You know, I find that among African-Americans, I find that we can be very accepting and very loving of things that are different. So sometimes I find stigma works in the way that. Uh, you, we can have a, a, a family member or someone around us who is schizophrenic, you know, or who's always hearing voices and visions and talking to themselves or talking to other people that aren't there. And we will just kind of dismiss it in a way to say, oh, that's just that's just how they are. You yeah, know, or absolutely. that, that you know, that's just, they was just born a little different. We just going to pray. I don't know if you've seen that level, too, of just this absolutely. accepting of things without actually trying to help. Right. Or understand it. It's just mm-hmm. something that because you're and, and not just in the black church, but po- on a large scale within our African-American mm-hmm. community, like this is my child. God bless me with this child. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm mm-hmm. going to love him. Family's going to accept them. And, you know, oh, like like you said, oh, that's just how he is or mm-hmm. he. But because the church is such a great resource, I think that there is an obligation, you know, to learn how to help and support. And and if, and, and if not the individual, the people that care for that individual, because caregiver burnout is real. So absolutely, yes. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the history, because if, if I was to say the role of, of mental health and the black church, I would say, when we if, if we were to talk about it, which we are now, but I would say that one of the strongest resources for mental health for black people has always been within the black church. 
Okay. So I guess it depends on what, what, what perspective. So let's talk about the history for a minute. And the African-American church historically was a place of safety. It was a haven. When we think about, um, you know, when we think about slavery and when we think about, you know, um, the advancement of our culture, taking a look back. Um, our pastors were trusted. They were our political voices. Um, we congregated at church spiritually, but also it was um, socially. Uh-huh. We were in church. Politically, we were in church. So the, the church served many, many, um, many roles, um, you know, during slavery and segregation and things like that. So when it comes to therapy, that's not something that was available for African-Americans. And so, of course, we're going to lean on our faith, right? So those hymns and all those things that were passed down, things that helped us escape slavery, things that helped us make it through, those therapy wasn't even an option. The other thing that we have to think about is what the mistrust when it comes to the medical community, especially mm-hmm. if we don't see people that look like us and understand our experience, that stemmed from some medical experiments where we were victimized. So some of the mistrust is embedded in our history. However, you know, as we move forward, you know, we see providers that look like us. Now, there is still a shortage to a great degree. However, you know, we are as we embrace the importance of, of mental health and mental wellness, we see so much progress that has been made. So that kind of that's important to know, because sometimes people think that, oh, well, the black church, maybe they just are ignorant to it. No, no, no. Historically, this was our only option. <laughs> you know, we're talking about a group of people that may not have had health insurance. You know, they may not have access to therapy. And like I said, therapy may have, you know, something that was for those people, something that we could not afford. So we utilized what was available. And that was our faith. Like, does, is that, does that make sense? Like, when we understand that context? Yes. And I also would probably say that um, what I think of resources for mental health and mental wellness, mm-hmm. especially being embedded and found in the black church, I'm also relating that to other ways in which people find healing. Oh, and other way, yes, yes. And so worship, art, think, absolutely. When we look at traditional ways that supersede, um, you know, uh, even thinking about Christianity and we look at just the connection to, um, you know, our, our West Africa, we will see that um, all those things have influenced, you know, the development of healing and mental health, especially within, you know, spiritual settings. And so I always tend to make sure I take that into account when we think about how people approach mental health, because that was our resource for mm-hmm. emotional and mental support and healing, you know, was hymns, was laying hands, was even circling up in prayer circles, was all these different things um, that people, you know, are still using today. Right. Was, that's what I was going to say, Tasha, was and still is, is. And that is okay. But I think what we do have to do is add some of the um, clinically yes. found resources and options so that an individual that is a member of a church, they have all of the options available to them. Like just because we're addressing mental health um, and we're talking about, you know, some clinical ways mm-hmm. that we that we merge the gap. It's not to say that the prayer circles is not to say that some of, you know, the laying of hands and Absolutely. some of the more ritualistic mm-hmm. things that we do do not bring value. Um, if they are important to an individual or to a patient, 
you know, then then we can't negate that. But we do have to, again, as a professional, you know, we have an obligation to say, in addition to that, here are some more things that you can do. You know, I often tell people that, you know, for, for some for some Christians, you know, they healing may start at church. And it may be extended into a therapy setting. It may start in the mall. It may start at a bank. Like, you know, God is not in a box. You know, mental health and faith is my ministry, and it is not in the four walls of a church. So I think that it is important, you know, just as as the black church, that we realize that there is that we, we can't box it in how the Lord chooses to do his work. Z, do you really think people are really hearing you when you say there needs to be a clinical piece along with the spiritual piece? Do you think people are really hearing you? I think people are hearing me, and I think that um, there are people that want to want to learn more. And this is why I say that. Um, prior to the uh, pandemic, so you know, I have my annual mental health and faith conference, and so I did. You know, of course, I hosted the mental health first aid training, um, and I had a lot of people that represented the religious community there. Mm-hmm. So you know, mental health first aid is for anybody that yes. wants to be able to maybe recognize that someone is in distress and yes. point them in the right direction. And so, and that's all. That's and- it's very useful. Yes. It's mm-hmm. very useful, Tasha. And just to be clear, I am not saying that pastors need to be clinical mm-hmm. and that clinicians need to be pastors. Mm-hmm. There just needs to be a link and a handoff that is supportive of what um, the parishioners need. So I think the, the other side of this is we know what can be done in these types of settings and how supportive they are and uh, how much of a natural resource they can be to people. But my next question to you, Z, is what if your trauma took place in the church? Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? So I I would say that it's just like anybody else that that we deal with clinically that may have had trauma in a different aspect of their life. You know, and our faith and our religion is such a, a, a part of who we are. But I, I don't think that the healing is any different. I think that, um, you know, depending on where the person is, what, what the issue was, how long ago it happened, it may be necessary for that individual to to remove themselves so that they can process and heal, and that's okay. It doesn't. It does not mean that that they don't love God. It does not mean that you know they they hate the church or they're walking away from the faith. But to really heal, you have to be open and honest about what you've experienced. Yeah, I mean, like mm-hmm. we can't conceal it. Like we have to be honest. We just talk so much about the positive things that that the church is doing, right? But we do have to be open and honest about some experiences that mm-hmm. were negative and and possibly could be handled in a better way, so that going forward we're able to really better serve individuals. So I would definitely say that just being able to, you know, connect with somebody that that has that well-rounded sense of, of trauma and what that what that means. So it's okay if you need to remove yourself so that you can start healing. It's just like anything. If I'm trying to become sober yes. and, and, and not use substances, I'm not going to stay around the people that um, use. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in our church setting, I don't think it's any different. Okay. So as we move forward now, because I think that that's a very good approach to trauma um, in the church, and we have these other areas that are walking. Well, they've always walked into church, so let, let's just, you know. But I think that we have some very sensitive issues now on a larger scale that are showing up, um, maybe 
more frequently or if that's not even the right word, maybe just more pronounced than they mm-hmm. used to be. And I'm wondering how can we address this mental health role within these congregation settings? For example, um, some of the uh, cognitive dissonance that took place with the last election, um, some of these anti-vaccination uh, types of things that are going on, some of these conspiracy theories and these delusions we see showing up in people. And even back to just the basic things that we show up in church and um, maybe be received or not be received, such as mm-hmm. people who are suicidal or gender or AIDS, HIV, homosexuality, like what can we do to start to address that now? Okay. And so I'm trying to am- answer this in a way that's clear, but also specific enough. So okay. for me, for example, mm-hmm. depending on what setting I am, that's going to kind of guide the conversation. So first clinically, in a mm-hmm. clinical setting, um, if individuals are presenting with some of those issues, their particular faith is not my job at that point. And me influencing that, that's not appropriate in that setting. So if you're presenting with symptoms, maybe anxiety because of, of, of things that are going on, here's a great example, our African-American teenage men, right? Everything uh-huh. that's going on politically and the things that uh-huh. we see, you know, anxiety is increasing among our adolescent yes. population. Uh-huh. So I may have someone in, the, you know, in my office or someone may be a, a guest at church that, you know, they may not fit the traditional role. They may have non-traditional lifestyles, but if they're hurting, then my role is to help with that healing. It is not to to say that, oh, you're a sinner or that God doesn't love you. Does that make sense? So the focus needs to be on on reducing some of those symptoms. And it's some and if the church is not not able to do that, that's why we are connected with individuals that can. That's why the mental health first aid is great for everyone to have. And, you know, we can establish mental health ministries or individuals, you know, that may be experienced in in, in identifying so that we can link people to help. Like is that clear? Yes. Um, I just, I think I go back to experiences over this last year because of the election and because of the way people are interpreting COVID. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, in community settings where we have people that we we fellowship with, we have people that we talk to on a regular basis, that we pray with, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, when we see these active mental health issues that are possibly dangerous mm-hmm. or possibly could affect our life if they don't believe in masks or anything like that. Um, I feel like this has taken maybe mental health in this setting to a different level that maybe we right. didn't have to think about before. And I'm wondering if maybe you've thought about some of those things in this particular situation, this time in history that we're in right now. Well, well, let's talk about the mask thing. So, you know, the the vaccine is on the rise. And so now, you know, in, in a lot of settings, if you're vaccinated, you can return yeah. to work, you know, you don't have to wear a mask, you know, but I think that me personally, our church has just made a decision, right, mm-hmm. for the safety and well-being of individuals that we're going to continue to wear the wear mask. mask, right? Yeah, abso- a- absolutely. Um, some of the other things that you should, you, you mentioned about maybe having psychotic issues or episodes, you mm-hmm. know, within these community settings. Again, I think it goes back to having people that are just able to recognize and then make sure that these people are supported until help comes. Tasha, it's just like anything else. If a, if a woman was pregnant and went in labor in church, I don't think a pastor would try to deliver the baby. 
Yeah. You know, so or if someone, uh, you know, is presenting as though they're having a, a cardiac arrest in church, I don't think that they're going to try to, you know, I just think that 911 would be the natural thing. So I think sometimes we can have a similar model, but specific to the mental health issues and things that we see. Another issue that has really um, impacted our church when it comes to like, because of society and the political things is, you know, a couple of years back, just the shootings that took place in the church, yeah. you know, and of course we always see that there is a justification and we always see that people are mental illnesses criminalized, right? That becomes uh-huh. a defense. So, you know, that creates a challenge, Tasha, because, you know, here we are saying that mental illness doesn't mean that you're demonized. Mental illness doesn't mean that you're a criminal, you know, but, then we have this person that, you know, murdered people in a church setting and their defense was mental illness. So lots and lots and lots of work to be done. But as a result of that, now you see security in churches. We have security in my yeah. church. That's, that's just a common thing. Just to just to keep an eye on the, the body, if you will, just the congregation, just that safety piece. It sounds like the steps that your church uh, has made are very individualized. And so I'm wondering maybe if that's the approach that has to be made is that when you see these issues taking place within your settings, that you on an individual church is that you have to make those decisions based upon the needs of your congregation. Um, That might be the only answer. Yeah. And then another part of that, too, is just understanding the comfort level or the experience when it comes to um, the leadership and individuals that are in your church. There may be, you know, there are often pastors that are involved in other helping roles, you know, professionally. So they may be more comfortable dealing with some things. Um, Or you may have individuals that don't have any experience, but they definitely want to see these issues addressed for the benefit of the members. And so I always, you know, within the African-American church, typically if the pastor buys in, the church will buy in. Mm-hmm. Typically, the African-American leaders, uh, clergy, are, are, are gatekeepers for the ministry. And so what that means is once they realize that it is something that benefits the members of the congregation, they're more open to it. And I always present more than one option. Like everyone is not going to be comfortable establishing a mental health ministry within their church, and that's okay. Some may want to address this, you know, once, twice a year, you can come and speak seminar. Um, Some individuals may be comfortable saying, you know what, let's get someone in here so that we can establish rapport and a relationship with this person and maybe create a referral source. Um, Some individual churches are just comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going to post some resources and helplines on my marquee or in my bulletin so that my members have access to that information. And even a gesture like that is so powerful, Tasha, because if you're sitting, you know, in the church and you see that mental health or depression is something that is supported from your church, it's going to make you feel better. You may never even say anything to anybody, but you're going to feel like, like what you're dealing with is important. A simple gesture as a suicide prevention line or maybe a link to a local crisis stabilization unit. Simple gestures like that, they, they speak volumes. And I think that that also goes to the fact that sometimes because we work in this field, we take for mm-hmm. granted that people know. Exactly. And people don't, you know, not everybody knows where right. those resources are in their community, what those numbers look like and those sort of things. Right. So I think I all those things. About Mm-hmm. 20 texts a, a week, where can I go get therapy? And so we know because we deal with it every day. And then also the other piece to that too um, is navigating affordability, navigating insurance. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just so many layers. And so 
research says that when African-Americans go through things with their children and their marriage, financial crises, all these things, they go to their pastor because, again, it doesn't cost me anything, you know? So we have to kind of take a look at, at, at that as well. That's uh, affordability and accessibility is definitely mm-hmm. an issue um, in the country, period. And right, that, absolutely. That yeah. is, uh, that's a whole whole big old can of worms right and then there's the liability piece that i've heard some some leaders mention and and it's very much relevant and important because from a liability standpoint you know i want to make sure that i'm not getting my head getting myself in above my head you know when it comes to being involved with with the mental health side of things because i am there's a role that a pastor plays there's a role for pastoral counseling and then there's the clinical side of things we already I mean we could have a different conversation about the flooding of our field with coaches that are not clinical oh I'm gonna no I'm gonna have a coaching podcast is what I'm gonna have <laughs> let, let me just so make we that clear right now, now yes. But, no yes <laughs> but for those same reasons just making sure that there is you know the the correct training and education you know and we shouldn't be expecting pastors to cross over lines like that absolutely not but, but, but again, mm-hmm. it is just to, to bring all the pieces together so that we can help people access help whenever, wherever. Yes. And you know what? I do find, actually, um, I've spoken to quite a few church leadership, pastors, priests, and those types of things. Um, and they've called me and had conversations with me about the liability issue and not mm-hmm. wanting to cross the line and Absolutely. reaching out for a list of resources and really understanding like where they're, what they want their role to be, because that's their heart, you know, in, right. in pastoralship and not in mental health and making right. that and clear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm like, exactly. Because that's what that is what you do, and this is what I do. Right. So it's okay to have right. that contract. The Absolutely. I think that you know, um, moving forward, if we wanted to push this towards a future focus, what do you think mm-hmm. is still missing? What is still missing between you know the black church and mental health? What do you want to see happen? That, well, I would like to see mental health ministries established in black churches as as the norm and we don't have to use that term um but Mm -hmm. just for the sake of the conversation it's still a great um, term yes yes Mm -hmm. absolutely i would like to see like to see it normalized um you know when when an individual depending on the church structure but if if you join a church and you're filling out information about yourself you know I, i would like to see you know questions that really address some of this stuff in a way that's not too personal. For example, we see churches support breast cancer awareness. We see our churches support lupus awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and those aren't demonized. We don't ever blame anybody for having lupus. We don't ever blame anybody for having cancer. We don't blame anybody from having a heart attack or diabetes. And, and you know, some of those hypertension, diabetes, and, and things, you know, those are li- as a result of lifestyle habits, Right. So there are some things that we can do to improve those. But when it comes to some of the mental health stuff, you know, it's just like we we see people getting blamed for those things. So I just want to see um, our church organizations um, connecting with the resources, getting people the first aid training, the mental health first aid training so that they can support individuals. I would also like to challenge, you know, our leaders and our clergy to survey their members to find out just how much they really want this, to find out just how often they're experiencing some anxiety, 
And I mean, if we can talk about COVID for just one more moment, it changed the way we do church. We do church, right? Yes, it did. Churches mm-hmm. were shut down, and so and that was a shock for a lot of people that were not already connected to social media, that mm-hmm. were not already doing Zoom Bible studies, that were all not already doing Facebook lives. And so I think it's forced some of our maybe more traditional churches and maybe more. Um, you know, churches that were not necessarily embracing the power of social media, it kind of forced them to do that. Um, and so I just think that going forward, you know, we can't we can't put healing in a box. We cannot separate mental health from health. It is it is a part of it. So I definitely would like to see more training. Um, I would like to see more less less stigma more acceptance and i really think that if if, if we can do a survey because again pastors are there and they they love hard we do so much as a black church tasha we feed people we clothe people we just do so much we rally together when there's a, a death in a family you know and so when it comes to the mental health there's still so much that we can do you know and and it's wanted and I, I don't think a lot of leaders really realize how bad it's wanted until possibly there's a crisis situation or a pandemic, so, or a pandemic <laughs> and now we're trying to figure out the best way to respond and even you know in black our black culture period, a lot of times our interactions with mental health individuals, or I'm sorry, mental health organizations or, or professionals is after a crisis has occurred, a Baker Act or something, somebody is court ordered to do something versus the other side of that is being proactive and identifying a provider. Just like we go see our PCP every year before we get diabetes or before we get hypertension, I just challenge people to identify a therapist or a resource that you can connect with before something happens. Absolutely. So um, as we close this episode out, I would just like to ask, is there anything else that in any direction that you would like to take your nonprofit? Is there anything else that you would still like to do with your mental health and ministry? Absolutely. I want to continue to build um, working on um, curriculum for Sunday school. I'm, you know, I want to continue to expand on that. Um, and the focus of that is to help um understand emotions that's age appropriate in a way that is biblically sound. Um, so, and I think it's never too early to have those conversations real quick. My daughter had to get, uh, she had to go get a COVID test at a pediatrician and she's four. And so my daughter said, mommy, I'm nervous and I'm a little anxious. (laughs) And so, but her mom's a therapist. So (laughs) she was able to really identify those specific emotions. So my point is just teaching kids, um, as soon as possible about their feelings and about their emotions. So I'm working on that. So I'm really excited about that. I also um, just want to continue to train to train leaders to help establish those mental health ministries, help them really understand what the options are and really what that translates into and the value for their ministries. I think all of that sounds absolutely needed and absolutely great in how we push these two areas together moving absolutely. forward with continuing to interconnect uh, the black church and black people, period, with absolutely. mental health resources. So I thank you so much for You're joining welcome. us today on thank the Trauma Perspective. And with that, please uh, be well, be balanced and stay safe. Thank you.